Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm your host, Prudence Robertson. Shifting limits. Florida's Supreme Court considers Governor Ron DeSantis's duly enacted heartbeat law, and pro-abortion groups try to force abortion into the state's constitution. We speak to a pro-life leader about the important work being done to protect life in the Sunshine State. Illegal abortion pill trafficking. A group of abortionists are mailing thousands of lethal pills across pro-life state lines. They claim they're protected by shield laws, but still insist on keeping their identities hidden. Why? I speak out. Faith and abortion. Some Christian leaders say that their faith allows them to support abortion and claim abortion can be a spiritual experience. Archbishop Joseph Nauman of the Archdiocese of Kansas City joins us to correct this and share how women can find true peace and healing. Pro-abortion groups in Florida have collected nearly half of the required signatures to put abortion on the state's ballot in next year's election cycle. Their proposed amendment to the state's constitution would block the Florida legislature from passing many pro-life laws. The amendment would need 60 percent of the vote to be added to the Constitution, and the amendment reads, no law shall prohibit, penalize, delay, or restrict abortion before viability or when necessary to protect the patient's health. In short, the bill would allow abortion up to birth. However, Florida's law that requires parental consent for abortion would remain in place. Similar to other states we've been covering over the past few weeks, these million-dollar efforts from groups like Planned Parenthood and the ACLU of Florida are a direct response to the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the enactment of pro-life laws. In Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis signed a heartbeat law in April. Right now, this law and other pro-life provisions remain in legal limbo, while Floridians await an anticipated ruling from the conservative-leaning state Supreme Court. Arguments in the case is, are set to begin in September. In the meantime, a previous 15-week limit remains in effect, and Florida remains a hub for abortion tourism. Amid all of this, pro-life Floridians have their boots on the ground to provide women with clarity and to help them choose life for their babies. Rita Gagliano, executive director and CEO of the Florida Pregnancy Care Center Network, joins us now to discuss. Rita, thanks for joining me. Tell us about your network and the coalition that it provides for women who need help. Thank you, Prudence. I am um, so thrilled to be able to represent this program the network is composed of approximately 100 pregnancy centers within the state of Florida, and our mission is to provide emotional and material support to pregnant women in need. Our mission uh, now includes uh, extending those services to parents of adopted children, and so we're excited about that new opportunity. But it's a great opportunity to come alongside women and not just say, hey, we want you to have your baby, but also to to be able to help in doing that. Yeah. I like to think of it, um, the emotional support is really being encouraging. And that word courage is in that word encouragement. And we also, um, a, there's a, a painting that has just really touched my heart a lot recently and not, um, had not seen it for a while. And you may have heard of it. It's called uh, Courage, Anxiety, and Despair, Watching the Battle. Mm. And have you seen that? It's so beautiful. Courage is looking on head on into the battle. And as she's doing so, anxiety is looking on as well, but hiding behind her 
Despair has her head down and she is using her arm to push Despair um, behind her. Mm. And I think that that empowerment that the centers provide to women really give them that hope and the courage that they need to push back despair, mm. to move forward, to, to give life to their babies, and also um, to help them know and helps them know that they're not alone. And it's a lot easier to be brave when you're not alone. Yes. What powerful imagery. Thank you for sharing that. And Rita, for now, unfortunately, Florida is one of the few states in the South where abortions are still allowed up to 15 weeks, and that's because the heartbeat law is currently blocked. Have your pro-life clinics in the panhandle seen more women coming from out of state who may have initially come to the area seeking abortion, but maybe stumbled upon one of your centers? Yes, actually, we are, we are seeing an increase in the number of abortions uh, since stops. And uh, sadly, we... There, there's been a study done and um, comparing the number of abortions in the state uh, two months prior to Dobbs and uh, nine months after. And we in Florida have had a 26% increase wow. in the number of abortions post-Dobbs. That's um, put us at number one among states seeing an increase. And as you know, we are um, surrounded by states with more restrictive abortion laws. And so those women from neighboring states are coming in sure. to find the abortion services. Um, and our hope is that they find the pregnancy centers instead. Of course. But yes. We yes. don't want to be number one in that area. Right, right. And in the wake of the overturning of Roe versus Wade, you mentioned some, but what are some other unique challenges you've seen amongst the network, amongst these centers? Well, we're hearing reports of uh, more cases of pregnancy loss, and I think resulting from chemical abortion. Mm -hmm. um, we are bombarded with media requests, and unfortunately not from friendly media sources like this one. Um, many of them are from biased sources that are publishing um, biased um, and misleading information about the program. And so uh, sometimes that keeps us a, a little bit bogged down in tasks that we would prefer to spend serving the centers and the clients. Sure. Yeah, that's interesting to know. And and as Florida moves to practically ban all abortions, hopefully if your heartbeat law goes into effect, how do you yes. hope your network will grow to keep building up the pro-life community in the Sunshine State? Well, certainly, we hope to see more women choosing life for their babies, and we know that as they do so, the centers will need help in supporting them. And um, actually, already since the the bill was signed into law by Governor DeSantis, the portion that expanded um, funding for the program became effective on July 1st. Mm. So we saw an increase in our appropriation from $4.5 million a year to $25 million. Wow. And that has allowed us to transfer that on and expanded services to the centers who provide free services to the clients. So wow. that includes some material things that the centers were already giving, mm -hmm. but we're able to help them uh, to subsidize their efforts in yeah. doing so. It's so encouraging to hear that there are still pro-life wins happening in Florida, even amidst yeah. legal battles and yeah. more people coming from out of state. But we're so grateful for the work that you're doing, Rita, to build up the Thank culture you. of life. Thank you so much for joining us. Rita Gagliano. Thank you, Thank you for having me. Of course. God bless you. Thank you.
The National Catholic Bioethics Center is sounding the alarm about a proposed redefinition of brain death put forward by the Uniform Law Commission. This new definition could cause Catholics to revoke their long support of organ donation. The proposed change includes language that would amend the legal definition of brain death from requiring whole brain death to just partial. This means living patients with severe brain damage could be declared legally dead and their vital organs harvested before they have actually passed from this life. This change puts patients at risk of exploitation and doctors in the ethically and medically dangerous position of choosing which patients are worth saving. The National Catholic Bioethics Center warns this could change and dissuade people from becoming donors and have a disastrous effect on the physician-patient relationship. The group says they, quote, would be obliged to advise those whom it serves, Catholic bishops, state conferences of Catholic bishops, Catholic health care systems and professionals, and Catholic patients and their families, that the commission's new definition of death lacks the ethical safeguards required to support vital organ donation with confidence. Joining us to explain this change is Dr. Joseph Meany. He's the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Dr. Meany, thanks for joining us. Could you start by explaining the implications of adopting this new definition of brain death, what it could mean? Yeah, so the Uniform Law Commission plays a vital role in advising states on, on how to pass their state laws. And up until now, this irreversible cessation of all brain activity as one of the definitions of death uh, has been generally accepted. I mean, there, there have been problems in terms of like how rigidly are the standards employed. Mm. But this new proposal, uh, which could come out as a recommendation from the Universe, Uniform Law Commission, is really very unacceptable because it essentially would say that people who are not dead, uh, completely dead, are dead enough to be declared legally dead. And as we know from the, you know, the general pro-life issues, you can't be just a little bit pregnant. You can't be just a little bit dead. Right, right. And can you talk to me a little bit more about before this potential redefinition, currently, what constitutes determining and declaring someone is brain dead? What, what's that criteria? Yeah, so at this point, it, it requires a determination to be made that there is irreversible cessation of all activity in the brain. And this is something that really goes back to St. John Paul II and, and other pontiffs of Pope Paul the the, the 12th and Pius the 12th and, um, and uh, Pope Benedict the 16th, mm -hmm. all of whom looked at it and said, well, if you do a very rigorous testing and it seems that the, the brain is completely gone and no longer act active, then, you know, that could fit a Catholic anthropology. But it's certainly not the case that if, you know, some of the, the person's brain is still active, they're in a coma, for instance, right. uh, which is, you know, this proposal would say a permanent coma uh, could be considered brain death, you know, with a few other things attached to it. Mm. None of that is acceptable from a Catholic perspective. Mm. And this could certainly impact organ donors as well. How do you advise Catholics who have opted to be organ donors to respond to this change if this redefinition does come through? And, and I'm especially curious about your thoughts when it comes to the elderly, the loved ones of the elderly, how they should respond. Yeah. No, it's true that if, if this recommendation goes forward and then the UDDA, the Uniform Determination of Death Act in different states is amended, that that would completely change the picture in terms of the ethical acceptability of being an organ donor uh, from a Catholic perspective. So, uh, you know, it's, it would be kind of a longer term action, 
but but something that we should be very aware of mm. because uh, it, it could really transform the picture. I mean, right now the church is very much in favor of organ donation and you know conceived as a loving act, but it has to be done in an ethical way. The dead donor rule has to be respected and it has to be a, a free gift. So all those aspects need to be ethically safeguarded. Sure, sure. And Dr. Meany, it seems the medical field's ethics are only getting worse in some ways, unfortunately. Taking this into account, do you see Catholics continuing to participate in organ donation in the next, say, five to 10 years? I think that really depends on, you know, how the situation is safeguarded, uh, making sure that, you know, all the ethics are in place, because, of course, it's, it's a wonderful thing to do is to give a gift of life through your organs, but it has to be done well. Mm -hmm. And so if there's less and less confidence that individuals will be properly diagnosed as dead, uh, before their vital organs are taken, that will completely change the picture. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important to look at this um, as as really an issue of trust. And and unfortunately, uh, with you know modern healthcare, there are all these different aspects that are going into it from an ethical perspective. They're not in conformity with with Catholic teaching and Catholic principles, even just plain Hippocratic principles. Right, and we want Catholics to be able to trust their medical experts and physicians. So this is concerning. Um, Dr. Meany, talk to me about the likelihood of this redefinition actually happening. Is there anything that can be done to stop it? Yeah, so we are actually very, very hopeful that the recommendation will not go through because actually each state governor appoints commissioners to this uniform law commission. And of course, there are many more conservative states than liberal ones. And so they can actually make an impact. And, and a lot of them have been alerted to this problem and brought it up. And if something is very controversial, the uniform law commission uh, generally backs away because they would like to see their proposals adopted by all 50 states as the, as the UDDA was, the Uniform Determination of Death Act was. Uh, and so actually just pointing it out and making sure that people realize that this is unacceptable to large groups of people um, could actually kill the proposal. Mm, that's very, uh, that's insightful. Thank you for explaining that. Uh, before I let you go, what implications does this have when it comes to euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide, which we know are on the rise in some places? Yeah, I, I think it kind of fits a little bit into that principle, right? Mm -hmm. of, of some people's lives are not worth living. Uh, some people are, you know, dead enough uh, to be declared dead. Uh, it's it's kind of a, that same mentality, right? That there's some lives that are not worth living mm. and that somehow you lose your dignity at a certain point of having brain damage, uh, you know, having, having severe health problems, which is not acceptable. Yeah. Uh, from the Catholic perspective, your dignity uh, continues and it cannot be taken away no matter how severely sick you are. And so I think that kind of plays a little bit in that same stream of thought, right? That there are some lives that are not worth living, some individuals who are not really... Uh, persons because, you know, they, they have severe brain damage or, or some other injury. Mm, makes sense. Well, thank you for all that you're doing to raise awareness about this. We'll continue to keep track of it. Dr. Joseph Meany, president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Missouri's Supreme Court ordered Attorney General Andrew Bailey to stand down and allow pro-abortion advocates to continue advancing a ballot initiative that could legalize abortion, despite the state's very pro-life laws. As Pro-Life Weekly reported last week, Republican Attorney General Bailey stalled approval of the ballot initiative because he believed the auditor's financial assessment of expanding abortion in the state was far too low. Lower courts in Missouri had ruled the attorney general does not have authority to challenge the financial report, and 
and the state Supreme Court affirmed that ruling last Thursday. With that, the amendment moves forward, and pro-abortion groups can now collect signatures to put this measure on the ballot next fall. After the decision came down, the attorney general said he did not agree with the ruling, but will comply with the court. And abortion is officially on the ballot in Ohio. The Secretary of State just approved a question on the November 2023 ballot that will ask voters if they want to add language to the state constitution to cement abortion access in the law. A recent USA Today poll suggested that just under 60 percent of Ohioans would vote yes to put abortion in the state's constitution. But prior to November, there's a special election on August 8th, just a couple weeks away. The results of the election could raise the threshold of support to add amendments to the Ohio State Constitution, from a simple majority of 50 percent to a supermajority of 60 percent. Thousands of Ohio voters have already participated in early voting. On August 8th, pro-lifers in the state are encouraging Ohioans to vote yes on issue one. And to the Capitol, where Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville is maintaining a months-long hold on military confirmations over radical Pentagon abortion policies. A group of military spouses sent a petition to Tuberville's office, asking him to end his blockade. For almost six months, Tuberville has kept the Senate Armed Forces Committee from approving batches of military promotions. The committee can still approve nominees one by one, though Democrats argue that approving all promotions individually would take months. Tuberville refuses to relent unless the Pentagon changes its policy that pays for service members to travel to get an abortion. The petition, signed by more than 500 military family members, calls on Senate leadership to find a way to resolve their fight over abortion outside the military space. They argue Tuberville's holdout has inflicted direct harm on service members and has caused confusion and frustration for the military community. Tuberville shows no signs of ending this bold pause on nominees, despite growing pressure to do so. Coming up, abortionists in states like New York and Vermont are sending abortion pills to women in pro-life states, despite laws that prohibit this. I speak out. Plus, an alarming claim from Christian ministers who say abortion is part of their faith. The Archbishop of Kansas City joins us to share his reaction. You're watching EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Welcome back to the show. A recent report from the Washington Post reveals that the abortion pill provider Aid Access is working with abortionists to increase their profit and dispense abortion pills by the thousands. That's this week's Speak Out segment. Aid Access has been known for years as one of the largest abortion pill providers in the nation and the world. Many of the abortion pills women consume in the U.S. are sourced from this provider. As a reminder, we're talking about the abortion pills Mifepristone and Misoprostol, drugs that are consumed in a two-part regimen that first starve and kill a baby in utero and then expels him or her from the mother's womb. Abortionists have agreed to work with Aid Access to push these pills into pro-life states. Many of these states have enacted laws that prohibit this exact activity. The pills are mailed to abortionists in five states, Massachusetts, New York, Washington, Vermont, and Colorado, and then dispensed nationwide. Perpetrators claim this is legal due to new measures known as shield laws that have been advanced in their own states. 
These laws protect abortionists and help them conceal their identity while they carry out mass killings in states that aren't their own. So far, Aid Access has facilitated mailing 3,500 lethal doses to people in pro-life states. They say they're on track to end the lives of 42,000 children in the span of one year. One of the abortionists working with Aid Access works out of her basement in New York's Hudson Valley. She regularly mails pills to Louisiana, Arizona, Texas, and other states. She told the Washington Post, Texas might say I'm breaking their laws, but I don't live in Texas. Here's a thought. State laws are generally reflective of the views of the people that live there. So if this woman, who refuses to reveal her identity, by the way, doesn't care about Texas's laws that were duly enacted by the people through their legislators, then why does she also feel the need to kill their children? The teachings of our Catholic faith make clear that taking an innocent human life is a grievous sin, but many Christian ministers and religious leaders are using their faith to justify their pro-abortion advocacy. Across the country, religious leaders who claim Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are challenging pro-life laws and arguing that they infringe on their religious freedom. One ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church, Reverend Rebecca Todd Peters, wants churches to openly talk about abortion. In an article from Religious News Service earlier this month, she shares her desire to shift the narrative when it comes to Christianity and abortion. Donned in a pink Planned Parenthood stole, Peters has given dozens of sermons on abortion and has even had to herself. She says she felt God's presence with me as I made the decision to end two pregnancies and I felt no guilt, no shame, no sin. A forced pregnancy or birth is not holy. Archbishop Joseph Nauman of the Archdiocese of Kansas City joins us now to discuss. He also previously served as the chairman of the USCCB's Pro-Life Committee. Archbishop Nauman, welcome back. It's always a joy to have you on the show. Thanks, Prudence. It's good to be with you and your viewers and listeners. Of course. Archbishop, it's a sad fact that there are many people who both claim our Christian faith and also support abortion. They say that pro-life laws, quote, go against their religion. Where is this notion coming from and, and what's your reaction? Well, I mean, I think one of the, the the greatest sufferings that anybody can experience is the death of a child. Yes. And uh, as a priest, I've accompanied many, many parents at this time. But when you when you layer on top of that, I chose the death of my child. This is a, a tremendous, tremendous burden. And I think the way people react to it, are, are, there's a variety of ways. I mean, when I was in the pro-life office uh, in St. Louis and Project Rachel, we would have some women that would call us up immediately after leaving the abortion clinic. But I think others, you know, kind of pushed down um, what's going on inside of them. And one of the ways is to try and defend it um, and to try to, uh, one of the ways I think to react to this is to try to um, figure out a rationale to justify uh, what you've done. And we, we see all sorts of evils through history that people will attempt to use religious faith uh, to justify them and, you know, I mean, that we see this in the Nazis. We see it with all sorts of um, of grave evils. There's always a tendency to try to find a rationale or justification, right. even a religious one. Right. And a handful of women have said that choosing abortion 
was a religious experience for them, going that far to sort of justify this and come up with a rationale. They say they felt peace with their decision. And we know that these feelings aren't coming from God, but these women claim that they are. Where are they truly coming from? Well, you know, I think it, it's, I, I do think some women do experience a peace afterwards because they were so anxious in terms of the pregnancy. Right. But that wears off um, pretty soon, I think, for most of them. And you either face into the, the reality of what you've chosen. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, I think the, the women oftentimes are the second victims of the abortion, but um, they don't come away from the abortions without spiritual, psychological, emotional scars. Right. And, um, but I think, you know, there's always a, a desire to try to justify and and, and find um, reasons to support uh, even the, the evil decisions that we make. Mm. Abortion hurts women as much as, as babies. As you just mentioned, they're often the second victim of an abortion. How can women find true healing and peace after getting an abortion? Archbishop, what would be your advice to them? Yeah, I, I mean, in my accompanying women in the circumstance, the, the most challenging part is forgiving themselves. Mm. And it's only with God's grace. And so I think that's what Project Rachel and many post-abortion ministries uh, attempt to do is to help not to uh, deny what happened, but to realize that nothing is beyond God's mercy and grace and that um, God can turn uh, this, this great sorrow that women carry and guilt uh, and he can, he can alleviate that with his mercy and grace and also then use them in, in in beautiful ways to commemorate the lives of the children that they lost and um and a lot of them will do that by you know helping out at crisis pregnancy centers some will will pray um but with that if they don't deal with it it affects all sorts of relationships going forward uh even their relationships with their with future children. Of course, yes. Archbishop, thank you for all of your guidance on that. Shifting gears a bit, we're days away from the one-year anniversary of the Value Them Both Amendment in Kansas. Now, this was the first pro-life ballot initiative after the overturn of Roe that unfortunately failed to pass, and other amendments in other states have also failed to pass since then. Talk to me about how the Catholic community and your archdiocese learned from this loss and, and has moved forward over the past year. Yeah, we're certainly praying for other states and, and hoping they'll have a better outcome than we did. Um, for us right now, we're focused on all that we can do to surround those that are uh, contemplating abortion with love, uh, with a loving community. And so we've um, tried to step up even further our abortion alternatives. And um, yeah, I think it's it's frustrating that there's very little we can do with the law right now but there's a lot we can do and are trying to do with love. Amen. Absolutely. Well, we encourage, we're grateful that you keep fighting the good fight and we ask you to pray for us. Um, thank you for all the work that you do. Archbishop Joseph Nauman of the Archdiocese of Kansas City. Thanks, Prudence. Thanks for your important work as well. Of God course. bless. Thank you. That does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Don't forget, you can find us at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms, Twitter, 
Facebook, Instagram, we're there. And if you're interested in more news from our nation and world, go to EWTN.com forward slash pro-life and sign up for my newsletter, The Pro-Life Pulse. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless. 